The best decision that I made in my life, or one of them, was uh, to attend Kapile Lincoln Community College after I graduated from high school. Uh, after I graduated from Bogachuda, I was thinking about where to go to college. And, I, you know, I didn't know where to go, and so I went to Colin. Uh, it was the best decision I ever made for a lot of reasons. I met Holly there, so it was also the best decision of her life was to go to Colin. That was, fun. that was funny, Tim? That was funny. So, it, but it was a great decision for me to go to Colin because going to a small high school, if I'd have went to Ole Miss or State or LSU or Southern, it would, I would, it would eat my lunch. I mean, I was not emotionally ready. I was not spiritually ready. I was not mature enough. So for me, going to Colin before going to Mississippi College was the best decision that I, I ever made. It really was. It just impacted my life so many ways. I was a new Christian. I'd only accepted the Lord a few months earlier. And so just in so many ways, going there really set the course for the rest of my life in some, some very good ways. And one of the neat things about Colin is, is it was kind of like my high school. It was kind of small. So you tend to know everybody. You know, there are only a couple hundred kids on campus. So we all kind of knew each other. And then particularly those of us that were majoring in the science field, pre-med, pre-vet, all these type of science fields, we took all the same classes together. So we all ran together. We all hung out together. So those folks that were in, um, in those classes with me became my best friends because so, we were in all the same classes. We were in zoology together and A&P and chemistry and all these classes we walked through together. So we were just always together. And most of us were also believers. So we went to the Baptist Student Union together. Then I dragged some of them to the Wesley Foundation with me. I mean, we, we, just, we just always were together. And it was a, it, I made some really, neat, uh, some really neat friends in this time. There was one guy who was kind of, kind of in our group, but he was all kind of to the periphery. Um, that was a really neat individual. And that what was really neat about him, well, I don't know if neat's the right word, um, but he wasn't a believer. He, he was not a Christian, and he was kind of outspoken in his lack of faith. You know, us majoring in science, I ran into that quite often. And so this, uh, this guy, but he was a funny guy. He was neat, great sense of humor. He just kind of walked along beside us. He was in class with us, was in lab with us. We studied together. We just, you know, we all hung out together. Neat guy. And something happens over the course of our two years there together in Weston. Um, by the time we left, I think actually by the start of our sophomore year, he was a Christian. He accepted the Lord. It was amazing. But here's the thing. I don't know how it happened. I didn't witness to him. I mean, I, he knew I was a Christian. And I was unafraid to talk about my faith with him. And I was unafraid to talk about how I thought faith and science could be reconciled. So I wasn't like against talking to him. We talked about faith all the time. But I never sat him down. I never walked with him through the Roman road or did any of the classical witnessing things. And I don't know that any of our other friends that walked together, if we ever really witnessed to him. And believe me, we weren't super holy. We were dumb college kids. I mean, we acted a fool at the truck stop. I mean, we just, you know, I, I got some stories from science labs and things. I, I just, 
ooh, man, that was bad. It's, a, it's, a, it's by the grace of God I'm a college graduate. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. So we weren't like super rock star Christian people. We were unapologetic about our faith. We were unashamed of Jesus. But we also didn't judge him. We didn't belittle him for not being a Christian. We didn't make him feel bad. We, we studied together. We shared our notes together. We were just friends. And so my hope is that what he saw was not some kind of false super Christian, but just authentic believers that were trying their best to love Jesus and trying their best to love each other. And they got it wrong a lot. And they tried not to get it wrong again. And they just tried to live an authentically Christian life. That's, my ho- that's always been my hope, is that the way we lived was attractive to him. And it made him want to know more about this Jesus that we followed. I love the passage that we read. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bibles. Um, I, just, I just love it. It, it, it. One of the first sermons I ever preached in, uh, in my life was um, when I was uh, in college, I took a mission trip to Lithuania, and I was one of the preachers. And so uh, can you imagine trying to translate me into Lithuanian? I think there were some language issues there, shall we say. Uh, many of the Honduras team was disappointed. They were disappointed about not going for many reasons. But one of the main reasons was they wanted to try to hear the translators translate me and see how that, um, that worked. We assumed they'd have to have me Somebody to tra- and when the team would translate what I, what I say into English, and then the translator would take over from there for Spanish. That's kind of what we were thinking. But when I, when I was in Lithuania preaching there, um, I preached on this passage. In the end of it, it says, Do good to your enemies as to heap burning coals upon their head. And that translated into Lithuanian, Do good to your enemies as to burn their brains, which I, which I think is a really good, a really good translation. Um, so let me get back to that section in just a moment. But I really, there's several movements in this passage that I really like. And one of the things that I like the most in this passage is what Paul says. He says it, I believe it, I believe it is in a verse, verse, uh, verse 18 or so. He said, if it is possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Gosh, I love that. So far as it depends upon you. So far as it depends upon you. Live peaceably with others. You know one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn in my life and that I'm still learning and I don't like? I can't control them. Whoever they are. I have no control over them. I have no control over my parents. I have no control over y'all. I struggle to have control over myself. Through God's grace, the only way I can do that. So as a control freak, as somebody likes for things to work out the way I like them to work out, to let go of that, I can't. And it's frustrating It drives me crazy because I I don't want to let go of that. So that's why I like what Paul says here. And as much as it's up to you, I've got to realize all mommy, mama, my mama pounded this into my head as a small child. And I only now as I get older, realize her wisdom. She told me all the time, Andy, the only person you have any control over is yourself. 
I can't control anyone else. So as much as it's up to me, as much as it's up to Andy Stoddard, I'm to live at peace with each other. Now that said, I don't have control over others. So if I mess up, if I blow it, and I apologize, and that apology is not accepted, I have no control over that. And if someone's wronged me, I have no control if they ask forgiveness. I don't have that control. I only control whether or not I choose to forgive them because forgiveness is not a transaction. Forgiveness is grace. Forgiveness is not earned. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God's eternal life. Forgiveness is not a magic thing that's incurred by someone's actions, but forgiveness is a grace that is given undeservedly. And as much as it's up to me, I will live in peace with others. So all I have control over is me. That's it. I can't, that's all I can do is live the best, the great, most graceful that I can. And I struggle to do that sometimes, (laughs) most times. Because the thing with it is, As Paul hits, man, this passage here is like basically like Proverbs in the New Testament. Proverbs in the New Testament. I, I, he says, he, he, what, what did he say? He said, uh, do not seek vengeance. He says, uh, I want to quote it right. He says, um, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Rich Mullins said one time said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but I just want to be about the Lord's business. I love this passage because it's so practical. Don't avenge yourself. Don't think it's up to you to defend yourself. It's up to God. You just do right. You just show mercy. You just show grace. You just show these things. Because the thing with it is, that's all that can change the world is you. And here's the thing. You can't do it apart from God. Like this stuff here, this stuff that Paul puts out, this is not an act of willpower. This is not you bowing up and doing it. This is not you being super holy. This is not you doing anything. This is you. This is me. This is us submitting ourselves to God and letting God's grace work through us. Because when we humble ourselves, when we bend the knee of our heart to God, God can change us. God can work on us. When we do that, God can do his part. And as much as it's up to me, and the only way it's up to me is for me to accept God. For me to let his grace work through me. For me to get out of the way and let God work. Because only God can change a life. Before God can change their life, God has to change my life. See, here's here's the thing I love about this passage. It says here, it says, uh, when you do good to your enemies, you heap burning coals upon their head. We hear that, we think, ooh, kill them with kindness. Yeah. I heard somebody say one time, forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. This is not kill them with kindness. You know, fire is an interesting biblical concept. We see it all throughout Scripture. We see burnt offerings throughout Scripture. We see in here our candles. We light each Sunday. The light of Christ coming in symbolically to show Christ's presence. The light of Christ being let out to call us to the world. Many of you remember Bishop Ward, one of our former bishops. Bishop Ward used to always light, used to always like to light a candle in a room to signify the presence of God there. Our United Methodist symbol has the flame with the two parts here, each part signifying one of the two churches that formed the United Methodist Church. The Methodist Church, the United Evangelical Brethren. That's why our, our flame here has two, 
two parts to it. Fire has always been an important thing. So we see here, do good to your enemies as to heap burning coals upon their head. He's not talking about killing them with kindness. In the Old Testament, think about, remember Isaiah in the temple worshiping? And the scripture says, the Lord descended, and Isaiah said, I'm unworthy. And you remember what the Lord did? Took a coal from the altar and placed it upon his tongue and said, now you're worthy, now you're clean. In the Old Testament, the burning coals are not synonymous with judgment. They're synonymous with purity, purifying, making holy, sanctifying. When you do good to your enemies, you show them God's grace. And that transforms a life. I like to think that's what transformed my friend was the grace that we showed him. We didn't judge him. We didn't belittle him for not being a Christian. We just, he was our buddy. And I'd like to think that grace shown changed his life. Do good to your enemies as to sanctify them. Do good to your enemies as to show them God's grace. Do good to your enemies as to let them experience God's mercy. Do good to your enemies to let yourself be a means of grace to them. Because only grace can change a life. When I was, when I was in Pedal, I don't know if y'all remember this, went through the news. There was a situation when uh, our school, it was like, Pedal was like every little small town in America, or at least in Mississippi. We prayed for the ball game, and we got a letter sent to the school district saying, if you don't start praying, we're going to sue you and sue the school board and sue everybody. So we began to say, okay, well, what do we do with this? And so we, we talked. Uh, the, the school decided we can't expose our town to a lawsuit. That's not healthy for anybody. So they stopped praying. And then as pastor, we said, well, what is the response of believers? And so w- what we came up with was basically the, qu- the band would do the national anthem, and we'd have a moment of silence. And at that moment, all the crowd would say the Lord's Prayer together. So it was then up to us as pastors to communicate that to our churches. This is what we're going to do. So when I communicated to Asbury, I said, you know, there are these folks up north that want to sue us and take away our right to pray and take away our religion from us. And you know what I want to see happen to them? I want to see them become my brother and sister in Christ. And the only way they will know my Christ is for me to live out his grace. So we're going to pray in this way. And we're not going to pray angry. And we're not going to pray with metaphorical double middle fingers extended. We're going to pray with grace and humility because that's what prayer is. And those folks that we think are being mean to us, I want to see them meet my Savior and become my brother and sister in Christ. And the only way that will happen is for me to love them. Because only love changes lives. When we do good to our enemies, we heap burning coals upon their head. We show them grace. We show them mercy. And God changes their life. That is how you overcome evil. That is how you change the world. That is how you make a difference. In showing that undeserved, unmerited grace. Because that's what God has shown to us. I don't know how many of y'all know the name Will Campbell. 
Will Campbell's a preacher. He's passed away now. I first encountered Will Campbell's works either, I can't remember if it was either by Philip Yancey or Brennan Manning. I get their works confused. So I love them so much. And he told the story of Will Campbell. Will was a southwest Mississippi boy and um, went to school up north. At, I think it was Yale. And while he was in, in class there, became real active in matters of integration. And uh, in this time of the 60s, his best friend was murdered by the Klan. And Will experienced hatred towards these people that murdered his best friend. And so what Will then did the rest of his life was he became a chaplain to the Klan. He moved to an area that had a lot of Klan activity in it. He began to reach out to the members to show them love because he knew the only way that he could change them was love. And he also knew the only way he could change himself, the only way he could be sanctified, the only way he could be made holy, the only way he could be changed was by love. So the love of God shed abroad in his heart could change him. The love of God shed abroad in his heart could change others. How do you overcome evil? You don't give into it. You let God's grace work through you. And you love even the folks you don't like. Because when we do that, God makes, God shows them the power of grace. And God changes our lives as well. Today, in this day, will we love? Will we show mercy? And will we let God change us and change them? Let us pray.